Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Q&E podcast. You're here with your boy Q Hicks right now. I got Edgar on the other line. Edgar, tell the people what's good. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Q&E podcast. It's still 2020, and I'm still feeling fresh in this new year. Let's get into it. Yes, if this is your first time listening to the Q&E podcast, we are primarily sports podcast, but we have already broken into the entertainment side of uh, podcasting. So check out our movie and show reviews. Uh, with the uh, uh, football season coming to an end, we're going to get more into entertainment. So definitely be on the lookout for for any uh, episodes like that. But for this episode, we're obviously going to talk about the NFL and a little bit of college football. And this is mostly about the playoffs, obviously. So let's dive right into it. So we talked about half of the wild card games last week because we dropped the episode on Saturday night. So we talked about the Houston and New England game, and we talked about the Houston and Buffalo game. So now we're going to get into the Minnesota and New Orleans and Philly and Seattle, which were pretty good games by themselves as well. So, Edgar, what us, Minnesota and New Orleans, how did you feel about it? What were your takeaways? I was actually surprised that the Vikings won, not from them winning, but more so from Kirk Cousins actually producing. That's what really surprised me in this game, completing over 60% of his passes, having almost 250 yards and a touchdown. I did not expect him to do that in New Orleans, and I did not expect the team to come out with a win in overtime at that. So that was that was my takeaway from that game. Yeah, man. Kirk Cousins was – I thought this game was going to be a blowout. I'm not even going to lie. I said it on the podcast. Like I said, that we dropped on Saturday night. I thought this was going to be a blowout. I didn't think it was going to be close because I thought Kirk Cousins was going to shrink under this pressure, and I thought Drew Brees was going to rise to the occasion. And I was wrong on both parts. Kirk Cousins did his thing, and I got to give him his credit for that, man. I never seen him produce in a big game. Usually in prime time, he doesn't perform. But this game really wasn't in prime time. It was like in the afternoon, so that's probably why he got away with it. And that's that's my excuse I'm giving him for that. But after winning this big game, do you think this will carry over for the rest of the playoffs? So can you lead the Vikings to the ultimate goal of a Super Bowl? Oh, no. I don't think it's anything towards that. I just feel like they just played better than New Orleans. And as hard as that may be to believe, they, they did. Captain Kirk. That, that's what I'm calling him right now. Yeah, I don't call that nigga Captain I'm, Kirk. I'm, he de- bro, don't get that man no nicknames. He don't deserve no nicknames for that, bro. No. I've been him. Everybody else been doubting him. But I got I got to call him Captain Kirk. No. For one game, he don't for deserve. One game, he, he gets a nickname. That's nah, the only game I can think of. Bro. Nah, bro. For one game, you gotta at least say he was Captain Kirk. For one game, nah, bro. But I don't feel like this is a Super Bowl run at all for the Vikings. I feel like I feel like it was a good quality win in the playoffs. I feel like it's the only time, probably, that Kirk Cousins will be that impressive. But I I just don't see this team making it to the playoffs. I don't see them getting past San Francisco or anything further than that. Hmm. Uh. I don't I don't think I don't think this is leading to anything for the for the Vikings. Like I said, I was surprised with them getting to this round, so I definitely don't see them getting further. But I'm just proud of Kirk, man. I don't think he deserves a nickname because I don't think he's earned it in this game. Because obviously he puts up the stats, but he never showed us anything. This is his first time. So I'm not going, you know what I'm saying, take it that far as Edgar with the nickname, man, with the Captain Kirk. But I'm, I'm proud of him for getting this monkey off his back, so to say, man. So You call Ryan Tannehill the tanny wax. Because he deserves it. No, 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 no. I'm going to tell you why, bro. I'm going to tell, tell you why, though, bro. I'm going to tell you why. Because the 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 Titans, 
They were trash earlier in the year with Mariota. Tanny saved their whole season. The Vikings, we had expectations for the Vikings. And we wanted to know if um, Kirk Cousins could take them to another level. And he he got it. he's getting them to a point where maybe this is their expectation for the season, maybe not. But Super Bowl or bust might be their expectation. But for the Titans, they started off the season terrible. And Tanny saved their whole season. Kirk is not saving their season. We both agreed that they're not going to the Super Bowl. I wouldn't say Tanny saved their season. Bro, Mariota was not taking these kids to the playoffs. We, we just going out like Derrick Henry ain't been doing what he's been doing for the past. But Tanny was the re- bro. Tanny was the straw to stir the drink. We were not talking about Derrick Henry before Tanny started getting off. We Derrick were not. Henry is the sugar in the Kool Aid. That's okay. He's okay. He's the cream in the coffee. But who's stirring the drink, bro? The coffee is not the same without the straw stirring all the ingredients. And we the Tanny wagon is the straw. We ain't finna compare Kool-Aid to coffee. That's what we not. No, I, I started off with coffee. You switched it to Kool-Aid. That's why I said we sticking with the cream. We get, you know, cream is a main ingredient. Sugar could be in coffee as well. So that's what I'm saying. I don't, but Tanny, you know what I'm saying? He took the Titans to another level. This is around the point where we thought Minnesota was going to get to the second round, maybe the first round, but we don't see them getting any, any further than this. If he wins another game, then... I still wouldn't be on your Captain Kirk bandwagon because I don't know. I still wouldn't be on it. I just want to respect it. But then we can start talking about nicknames. But getting the Vikings to a point where they should be with the talent on this team, it's just like I don't think he deserves the nickname yet, yet. But like I said, Tanny deserves one, man, because he brought the he brought the Titans out of the depths of mediocrity to to an upset possibility. I'm gonna give y'all, I'm gonna give y'all my analysis on that later. But let's switch this on the other side of the coin. I'm still Captain Kirk. <laughs> uh, and, that, and this man texted me that after the game. This man Edgar texted me that after the game, bro. And I was high key mad because I was rooting for New Orleans too. And I was like, man, what you talking about, Captain Kirk, man? Yeah, he slid, he slid this game by the, you know what I'm saying, by the skin of his teeth. But man, whatever. Uh, but how did you did you think it was a a penalty? Let's dig into that real quick. Did you think it was a penalty on the last play of the game? Uh, I don't think it was as drawn out as people are trying to make it. It's just another situation that the Saints have been in where they feel like this one play changed the entire outcome of the game, and I don't feel like this play was as dramatic as the to play against the, the Rams in the past. I don't feel like it was that dramatic of a play. Mm, yeah. That was just entirely that pivotal. I don't believe it was like that. Was it Was it a flag? Yes, but it was one of those you flags. You can't call it, though. They just missed it. They yeah. Missed it. No, I, I don't think uh, – you can say they missed it, but I think at the end of a game, you don't call that. Because in the by the rule book, it was a foul. I'll give it to the Saints. They were, it was a foul. But at the end of a game, overtime – the refs gotta, you know what I'm saying? They gotta put the whistles in their mouths, man. I can't, I'm not calling anything unless it's obviously obvious and blatant. And I don't think that was, man. That was a slit little push off. That was it. It wasn't nothing crazy. Old boy oh, didn't fall I to agree. the ground. I agree. I'm just speaking yeah. from the perspective of the refs. Me as a oh, yeah. fan, I didn't personally think it was a flag, but mm-hmm. having to try to think like a referee, that would technically be a flag. Like, and if you're looking at it from a rule standpoint. Yeah. But you can you can give it on both sides because old boy, uh, the defender, the defensive back was grabbing his arm while he was trying to go up. Boy gave him a little push, so you could have caught it on both sides. But you know what I'm saying? 
the Saints do what they usually do with the crying. And so, you know what I'm saying? Sean Payton throwing his little shots in post-game. You know, Cameron Jordan, Drew Brees being a professional. But you know what I'm saying? It's the end uh, for the past three years for the Saints, man. So let's dive into New Orleans while we're at it, man. So like I just said, three straight years of heartbreak. They lost to the Rams with the uh, obvious penalty last year and the overtime loss. They obviously lost this year in overtime. And the year before was the Minneapolis miracle. Three straight heartbreaking losses. So after all this, you want to you wanna know how somebody would bounce back from three straight losses uh, in heartbreaking fashion. So should a Drew Brees just retire from all this heartbreak that he keeps enduring with the Saints? At this point, from talent on a talent perspective, no. I feel like Drew Brees has enough in the tank to still keep playing if he wants to. But would I be mad if he retired after this season? No. So I'm I'm not really sure which I would pick. Uh, part of me wants to see him keep playing because, like I said, he's he's not injured. He's not injury prone to the point where he'll just be sad to watch. Like he's still exciting to watch, and he's still a great competitor, and he can still guarantee you wins if he's healthy. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like, like you said, three years of heartbreak. You've already set like what two or three NFL records this season. Yeah. So you you got your Super Bowl, you got your accolades, you got your league wide respect, and you're already being talked about as a Hall of Famer automatically. So oh, I mean, sure. it makes sense to retire, but if he chooses not to, I wouldn't be upset to see him play another season. Yes, and I feel like this year Drew Brees really got the credit that he deserved all along. I feel like people started to notice after he started, you know, what I'm saying, passing people in the record books that he is in that conversation of a top five or a top six or seven QB of all time. So I feel like he's starting to get the recognition that he, he's he been deserving throughout his whole career. So I feel like this would be a nice retiring stage, man. You know what I'm saying? It feel like the, the Saints have re- reached a ceiling, in my opinion, man. It's just like when you get to a point and you can't get over the hump, it's just like, damn, do I want to do this again? Do I want to go through the you know what I'm saying? The the rigors of a training camp again. Do I still love the sport like I used to? Do I want to hang out with my family more? So that's all that Drew Brees has to think about. He's 42. He hasn't won a championship since what? 2011, 2010? So 10 years, 10 years ago. So it's like, man, I feel like Drew Brees is starting to reach that point, man. And I think he should retire, man. I had I told Mount the other day, man, I think he should give it up. Talent, like you said, though, talent-wise, I think he still has something in the tank, but you got to let Teddy get let, – let my man Teddy, Taysom Hill had a big game this past week. Let somebody else get a chance at it, man, because Drew Brees was struggling, which was which was surprising to me. He was struggling uh, against the Minnesota Vikings defense, man. I thought he was going to have a big game, man. But I think he should hang it up, man. I really well, do. I don't, I don't necessarily think he was struggling. I just feel like he, he couldn't get the amount of touchdowns that he needed to get because, I mean – he, he did throw an interception, but he completed 26 out of 33 passes and threw over 200 yards. But it, no, but it looked bad. It looked worse than that, Edgar. And you it, know what? It, it, it looked worse than yeah, that. Yeah, it looked worse than that. I'm not going to go by the stats on that one. Yeah. Because he, he just couldn't keep drives, you know what I'm saying, to continue. It felt like the, the Saints were going, you know what I'm saying, six and out. You know what I'm saying? They get a couple of first downs, then they're punting again. That's why it was nothing consistent. And what we were saying, seeing at the end of the season with, them, they were starting to become explosive again. You know what I'm saying? Getting everybody involved in the offense, and then you come up against a Vikings defense, which has been up and down this whole season, and then you just hit a wall. It's just like, what happened? Was it Drew Brees coming into effect? 
You know what I'm saying? The only thing that was really keeping them in the game was Taysom Hill and him being such an X factor, whether it was throwing the ball, running, or catching. So maybe it's time for him to take over the Rams in New Orleans. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's just time for something fresh. But uh, but if he were to retire, who would you like to see be the next New Orleans Saints quarterback? Uh, well, first off, I don't know if Bridgewater is going to stay in New Orleans. But if he were to stay in New Orleans, and I had to decide between he or Hill, I probably, I most likely put Bridgewater. Hmm. I don't. But I agree with you. If I had to pick behind, uh, pick between the two backups. I would go with Bridgewater because I feel like I like um, Hill way more in that X factor type of role where he just plays every position. I don't know how much I would like him if he's playing quarterback the whole game. He has an arm. We seen it on Sunday night that he or Sunday uh, afternoon. He has an arm. He gets sling, but I don't know how much I like him at quarterback every pos- uh, every possession. You about to say something? I I, I agree. I mm. agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm ride, I will ride with Teddy. Uh, but like I, I don't know. I feel like Teddy is really ingrained and really loves this Saints system. So I don't think he would go anywhere because he had a chance to leave this offseason and uh, ended up coming back. He could have went to the Dolphins for like twenty something million, and he ended up coming back and getting like fifteen with the with the Saints. So I feel like he's just waiting on Drew Brees. He was just waiting it out, waiting to see if Drew Brees won this year or if. He just got tired and fed up with the with the football routine. I feel like he's just waiting Drew Brees out right now. But where where would you like to see a Teddy go? Uh, um, I think where where did I say I wanted Teddy to go? Because we talked about Teddy earlier this um throughout this season. Oh, uh, where I would like to see him go. Uh, who needs a quarterback right now? Definitely not. Did you say the Bucks? Did you say the Bucks? No, 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 no. Uh, the trash teams are out of discussion right now. Uh, Miami, no. Cincinnati, no. I want him to go somewhere that's championship contending, possibly. I mean, uh, championship contenders usually got their quarterbacks. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you could probably – I would like to see him in Chicago. That wouldn't be too bad. Oh, okay. You probably did say Chicago. Chicago was the, the one. Yeah. Chicago was real popular because of Trubisky. But obviously, like I said, last week we started to hear reports of – they were with the Bucks too. Now I'm thinking about it. That's what I said. The Bucks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think just a uh, James is more dynamic because James can win you a game, but James can also lose you a game at the same time. You go with these adjectives. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, bro. He's the most entertaining player in the NFL, bro. He is. He I really is, it. bro. He's the most entertaining. <laughs> Obviously, he's gonna throw thirty. He's not gonna throw thirty picks every year. I don't think so. But, you know what I'm saying, he's the most entertaining quarterback, man. He rumbling and stumbling, trying to get a first down. He throwing a touchdown, an 80-yard touchdown, or he throwing a pick six, man. You don't know what you're going to get with that man, Jameis, bro. That man is hilarious. Are you done? (laughs) Bro, I'm just telling you, bro. I'm just telling you what it is. I don't know. So you would like to go move off of Jameis for Teddy? Yes. I would like Teddy Bridgewater over Jameis Winston. Yes. And this is and this is, and if this is your first time listening, Edgar is a Bucks fan, so he would really like to see this. Thing. I am a Tampa this Bay Buccaneers yeah. fan. We need a quarterback. We need an offensive line, 
And later down the line, after we get those two, we need a new running back. I'm not pressed on the running game right now because our running game is average enough to where we can still win with the average running game. We seriously just need a quarterback and desperately need an offensive line. We're going we're gonna to get into some of the prospects that are coming up in the draft later on in this uh, episode. I'm going to ask you about a couple that could possibly slide down to the Bucks. But let's slide into the other wild card game that happened on Sunday, which was Philly and Seattle, which ended up in a – it was a really slow game, uh, which ended in a 17-9 um, loss uh, for Philly. McCown tried to step in for Wentz. Wentz went out early with a head injury. Never returned. McCown tried his best, but he just couldn't do it. He's a 38-year-old quarterback, and he obviously didn't have all the requisite weapons being with all the injuries that the Eagles had. But, Edgar, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? My biggest takeaway was Seattle is always still going to be Seattle as long as you got Russell Wilson, as long as he's healthy. And now that you got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield, it's just like I was saying a couple weeks ago, it just takes so much pressure off of him and he can still deliver without having to save the day. And that's really what he did, you know, threw for over 300 yards, and he was able to have um, he was able to have a decent um, rushing game that game as well with um, 45 yards rushing, you know. So he was able to do him and be able to still incorporate everybody else in that offensive scheme. So that was my biggest takeaway. I knew Philly wasn't going to win, but I, I didn't expect it to be that close. Bruh. Seattle did not want to win that game, bro. I don't care what you tell me, bro. Seattle did not want to win this game, and I'm going to tell you why. Because every time they went deep on Seattle, whether it was to DK Metcalf or to Lockett, they were beating the cornerbacks deep, and they didn't go deep enough. Because every time they threw it deep, it was getting hit for big yards. So I don't know why they – I felt like Seattle was trying to lose. Philly just didn't have enough on the offensive end, bro, with McCown. I feel like if Wentz was playing – I feel like it would have been a W for Philly because I feel like uh, Wentz would have, you know what I'm saying, capitalized on the opportunities because they were in the red zone like three or four times and they just kept ending up with field goals. And it was just like, man, if, if Wentz was there, maybe something else would have happened. You know what I'm saying? Because obviously he was utilizing all of these uh, lesser known weapons and making them actually, you know what I'm saying, become something. But McCown... He's obviously, like I said before, he's an older quarterback, so he obviously can't make everybody look good like a Wentz was doing these past few weeks. So I was like, damn, if Wentz was still in the game, bro, I feel like this game would have been completely different. And I picked Philly going into this game. And watching this game did not make me feel good about Seattle or if I picked Seattle to go to a Super Bowl or whatever. I wouldn't feel good, man, because I just felt like Seattle let Philly hang around for way too long when they could have gave him a knockout punch in, like, the second quarter or whatever, man. But another big takeaway from the uh, from Seattle, though, DK Metcalf is becoming a real weapon, bro. A real, real weapon. I don't know what he ended up with, but like I said, every time they went deep, they were beating Philly. And Green Bay is the opponent that Seattle plays this week. Can be uh, beat. Just to, let you, just to let you know, Metcalf had 160 yards on seven receptions, and he had a touchdown. That man was killing the whole day. And like I said, they didn't throw to that man enough. I don't know why Seattle wants to run the ball so much because they have a top three quarterback in the league. I don't know why they try to run the ball, but whatever. But Metcalf is actually starting to turn into something. The last couple of weeks of the season, he wasn't producing like this, but he's starting to become 
or he could become the breakout star of the playoffs if they keep him involved because a locket has been quiet. So now we need somebody to pop up on the scene for him. And it looks like it's DK Metcalf, man. So shout out to him. That was my biggest, biggest takeaway for Seattle. But Seattle let them boys hang around. And they didn't make me feel good going into this next game uh, where they play Green Bay. Uh, I also wanted to give my piece on the, the hit by Jadavian Clowney on Carson Wentz. Okay. I don't feel like people have the right to say he's a dirty player for, for some of the people on social media that were trying to give that impression. I just feel it was a dirty hit, but in recent history, there have not been many signs of Jadavian Clowney being a dirty player. I just want to put that out there. Was that one specific hit dirty? Yes, should he have led with his head when he seen Carson going down? No, but that was one mistake to where, compared to other players who have created several mistakes, I don't feel people are warranted enough to call him a dirty player. But a dirty play, yes, in that specific moment. I've seen a lot of people saying it was Bush League and dirty, bro, but I honestly didn't see it, bro. I know he led with his helmet, but just take it. let's take it for this, bro. If that was a running back, and that was happening to a running back. We would be okay with it. We would be okay because that hit happens to a running back all the time. Linebackers t hit running backs when they go to the ground like that all the time. But since it was a quarterback, even though he was not defenseless, even though he was going to the ground, that hit was not dirty. Because like I said, you put a running back in that position, that happens all the time. That man, David in is not dirty. Like I said, that man, Wentz, was not defenseless. He was running the ball. I don't think it was dirty, period. I feel like Wentz was defenseless, though, because he was already being tackled, and he was falling to the ground. Like, there was no more to do. Because that one player who tackled him obviously stopped the play. There was no reason for Jadavian Clowney to rush over those extra five yards when you see the quarterback being tackled and brought to the ground. But I you see like that all the time is what I'm saying, though. But you yeah, see yeah, that all I, the time. I agree. It happens all the time. Yeah. But that, the fact that Wentz stayed on, on the ground the way he did, I feel like that was what made everybody exaggerate the play. If Wentz got up quickly and brushed it off, you're right. It probably wouldn't have caused much attention. But the fact that he stayed on the ground and went instant, with instant replay nowadays, they show the play over and over from so many different angles. You see the way Clowney hit him, and it just makes you think, wow, that, that was dirty. Like, you mm -hmm. literally hit the back of his head, and the man couldn't even put his suit on before leaving the, um, the stadium. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying that that didn't have any effect on Wentz, but still, I don't think it was dirty. The quarterback is being protect, uh, protected so much in the pocket. When he's outside of the pocket, he gets the same amount of protection when I don't feel like that is the right way it should be played. If the quarterback wants to run, let him run. But if he get hit, hey, you know what I'm saying? That's, it's fair game. At that point, you're just like a running back or a wide receiver. Even when you dive into the ground, bro, because like he, like you said, he was diving to the ground. But still, a running back or wide receiver does the same thing. And that we just say that's a regular play. We don't even mention it. Because even on the broadcast, bro, because I think it was on NBC. The game was on NBC. The commentators didn't even mention the hit. Because they didn't even think it was dirty until the fact when they seen Wentz go out. That's when they started having a conversation about the hit. But at the time of the hit, when they kept showing the replay, it was like nobody said anything about it being a dirty hit or nothing. But when they see old boy go out with a concussion, that's when it became, oh, he's a dirty player. So that's more of a, a, res a result-based 
uh, opinion from that point, bro. But like you said, if he didn't get hurt, if he had no concussion, we don't even talk about this play. We're not even mentioning Clowney as being a dirty player if he just bounced back up. But the fact that he had a concussion, oh, he a dirty player now. You feel what I'm saying? So that's yeah, all yeah. I'm saying at I, that point. Like I said, he, he's not a dirty player. I just feel I personally feel that one specific play was dirty. Oh, yeah, I'm not talking about you, but I, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? The Twitter folks, you know what I'm saying? They was like, yeah. oh, he dirty, this, that, the third. It's like. Bruh, if this was anybody else or this is any other position, obviously, obviously I know the quarterback position is the most important. But still, you know what I'm saying? You defenseless or you outside of the pocket. And like I said, even if you're going to the ground, this happens to all the other positions, man. If he bounces back up, we don't even talk about this play. This is just another play in the game. But since he had a concussion, we're talking about it now. So that's just how I feel. But, um... Going on to the divisional round of the playoffs, which start tomorrow, which is Saturday. The first game is Minnesota versus San Francisco, which starts at 4 o'clock. Baltimore and Tennessee is at 8. On Sunday, the games are Kansas City and Houston and Seattle and Green Bay. So let's start off with the first game, Minnesota and San Fran. Eggert, man, I've been asking you this question the whole season. Because I still don't believe. But is Jimmy G ready for prime time in the bright lights? Definitely. I've been a Jimmy G supporter this whole season. I'm not turning back. Now, Jimmy G, especially when the only other quarterback on the field in this scenario is Kirk Cousins, he's definitely going to have the better performance, and it's going to be substantial. We're really going to see why Bill Belichick was so ready to move on past Brady with Garoppolo. Because he's seen something in Garoppolo that shows that he's ready for primetime moments and he's ready to be a true starting quarterback in this league. So I feel like Jimmy G is ready for primetime and he's going to show it to everybody. I feel like this is not the game that I'm going to jump Jimmy, Jimmy G on because I, th- I think San Francisco is going to win as well. So I don't think this is the game that I'm going to look at Jimmy G and say, oh, okay, he's that guy. Because I feel like they have enough talent. You know what I'm saying? They, they can have a, a decent Jimmy G game and get them through it. You know what I'm saying? All they got to do is really run the ball. You feel what I'm saying? Give a little pass to the Kittle, and they'll win but, the game. But that might that might be all you need. Like I think people are looking for for a heroic. Effort. That's what I'm. That's what I'm looking for, bro. He just needs to game manage. He needs to do what Brady do. Just game manage. Just do no. Don't mess up. And whenever you're in a position for us to win, make that this make that um make that play. And he does it. Yes, bro. Manages. I'm looking for I'm no, bro. I'm looking for heroics because at the same time Brady does game manages, but he has those couple plays of games in the clutch moments. It's like, oh, I see why he's that guy. I see why he get paid that much. But it's like, ah, except for that New Orleans game, and it was another game that he he got off too. I was like, I don't know. So now I throughout the whole season I've been saying I gotta see it in the playoffs. I gotta see it in the playoffs. But still, I feel like they have so much more talent than a Minnesota that they can win without with a decent Jimmy G game. But I want to see a heroic Jimmy G. Not even heroic, but just the clutch Jimmy G. Can he make the big plays when they need to be made? You feel me? That's what I want to see out of Jimmy G, to, uh, or at least in the playoffs. It don't got to be this week. You will see it. You will see it. it is because, it's go- yeah, obviously it's going to happen. It's the playoffs. So I just want to see the clutch throws. It doesn't even have to be a rope. It, it doesn't even have to uh, be, you know what I'm saying, I put the cape on, I'm Superman, whatever. But just make the clutch throws. Just like Kirk made that uh, through that bomb to Thielen 
in overtime, it was a clutch throw. I need something like that from Jimmy G during this playoff runner. A few plays like that to be like, oh, that's why he's that guy. That's why he's getting paid that much. I need something like that to happen. That's why I'm like, that's the question. And when, when I say, is he ready from prime time? That's what I'm, that's really what I'm asking. Is he ready for, or is he ready to make the clutch plays? Is he ready for that? Or is it, or is his palms going to get sweaty? That's what I mean. And that's what I'm ready to see with the Jimmy G. Because I've been seeing glimpses throughout the whole season, but now this is really time. But I think they're going to win outright regardless. Uh, like I've been saying, I think they're going to win uh, in a blowout fashion, honestly. Um, because I know uh, who, 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 who's questionable. Thielen is questionable with the ankle injury. And Diggs is, Diggs is going to play, but he's been having a flu throughout this whole week. So those two wide receivers from Minnesota – are I feel like Diggs will be fine. Diggs will be okay. Yeah, Diggs will be fine, but that ankle injury with um with Thielen could be a problem. So that's something you got to look out for for Minnesota because I think I don't think Minnesota can get loose, or Minnesota's offense at least can get loose against the San Francisco defense. What do you think? Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I don't mm. think it's gonna happen. Mm, okay. Kirk, Kirk Cousins. He was able to get through that, not San Francisco, but that New Orleans defense just a little bit easier than I thought he would. But I feel like that San Francisco edge, like their edge rushers are just going to attack him so mm. easily. And I feel like they're going to cut through that old line so, um, so aggressively to where he's not going to have enough time to make the necessary throws to get the win. So I feel like that's really what it's going to be. And we all know that San Francisco's secondary is really good. Do I feel like it's elite? No, I feel like their front line and their linebackers are more elite than their DBs. But mm. I feel like Richard Sherman leading the way for that defense, I feel like they, they can manage enough to not allow any deep threats from Stephon Diggs or anybody else. Mm. So what would need to happen? Because like you just said, they have a stout D-line and they have a stout or they have a, a solid secondary at least Richard Sherman is the the one all pro in that secondary so what would need to happen for Minnesota to win being that you really can't run the ball because they have a top 3 run or rush defense and the secondary is solid so what what is what way would Minnesota win or how would they well, win they, they would win by attacking their secondary even though their secondary mm. is solid i feel like attacking them and because we all know Richard Sherman isn't the fastest corner. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like they, they don't have that much of a speed threat in their secondary. And I feel like Kirk Cousins, if he wants to, to be able to get yards against his team and put his team in the red zone enough, going deep by throwing seams or, or dig routes like or even go routes, I feel like he'll be able to manage against the San Francisco defense by doing that. Dalvin Cook might not have a great game, with Nick Bosa coming at him off the edge along with the other edge rushers for San Fran. But maybe he could probably get some screen passes or some uh, or some slant routes maybe because of the deep threat that Kirk Cousins is going to have to imply. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. I, like I said before, I don't think this game is that close. I think Seattle – not Seattle, but San Francisco just has the all-around better team on both sides of the ball. So I'm, I'm riding with San Francisco. But I said that same thing about New Orleans, and they let me down. But I think San Francisco comes through. And I think the coaching advantage as well. I think Shanahan is a way better coach than Mike Zimmer, and that's usually what it comes down to in the playoffs. So 
That's something we're going to talk about a little bit later, too. Um, but let's go on to the second game of Saturday, which is Baltimore versus Tennessee. So we seen we seen Tennessee last week get off with Derrick Henry, like you were saying earlier. He had ended up with 200 total yards. Tanny did his thing. He made the throws that needed to be thrown, uh, needed to be made. He game managed. But what needs to happen against this stout Baltimore defense or this stout Baltimore team all around for Tennessee to pull off an upset? Derrick Henry is just gonna have to do what he's been doing these past few games and just completely dominate. You know, feed feed the beast. If it's been working this um for these past five six games that they've had throughout the end of the regular season and in the playoffs so far, I say continue to do it. Ryan Tannehill, uh, Quincy calls him the Tanny Wagon. You the know, Tanny. He, he, do thing. <laughs> he can do his thing, yeah. but I feel like feeding Derrick Henry is gonna is what's going to be the difference maker in this. Definitely. And to see if Baltimore can stop him or not. If, yeah. they can, if they can't even neutralize Derrick Henry, that's going to be the key to Tennessee winning. Exactly, bro. And I, and I fully agree with that. Even if they neutralize, they don't even have to stop him all the way because their secondary is so stout that I don't think Tanny is going to, you know what I'm saying, be the reason why they win this game. It's going to have to all be on Derrick Henry's shoulders, man. Yes. And Baltimore has shown earlier in the season, at least, that they can be beaten by the running end because Nick Chubb, uh, that was one of Baltimore's losses, got loose against Baltimore. And I want to see it was a uh, Connor when they lost to Pittsburgh. They uh, that was another reason why Baltimore lost the game. So that's where they can be beat. Uh, we all know that halfway through the season they got Peters, and he really shored up that secondary with Earl Thomas. But that's that front line hasn't been tested as much as it should be. So it's going to be really put to the test with the top three running back in the NFL right now, man. So can they stop a Derrick Henry? He's 256-3. You know what I'm saying? He's basically a linebacker running at you. So what are you going to do? So obviously New England couldn't stop it, and it was a problem. So we just got to see what Baltimore does, man. And that's, that's, that's the exciting thing that I want to see. Because also I think that's a good um, – what am I thinking? That's a good philosophy – just to keep the ball away from Lamar Jackson. You don't want that offense to have the ball in their, their hands at all. Exactly. So you, Run the clock and maintain possession as long as you can. Exactly, bro. So that same philosophy that Bill Belichick had with Patrick Mahomes and every time they play the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, usually, is just run the ball, keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands because we know how dynamic he is. It's the same thing with Lamar Jackson. Don't let him touch the ball. Just bleed the clock out. And obviously you have the running back that you can just put the whole game on his shoulders. You have the And you have the offensive line who can just maul the defensive line of Baltimore. So that's what I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I, mean, I just want to see if that offensive line and if Derrick Henry can overpower them and just keep the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands. If they can do that, I feel like they can have an opportunity to win. Because obviously Baltimore has the better team. But if they keep that philosophy of just running the ball and milking the clock, then we can actually see something. We can actually see an upset. And I'm going to tell you all about my pick a little, little later, though. But I wanted to get into this uh, into, uh, into this topic because usually we see rust being a factor, whether it's, you know what I'm saying, in the NBA playoffs or whatever playoffs. We usually see rust after a bye week or after a couple of days off. So do you think rust will be a factor 
for Baltimore or Green Bay or Kansas City or San Francisco, which could affect their chances of a win? Uh, you, you said the rush? Rust, R-U-S-T. Oh, Rust, Rust. Rust. Uh, I don't think it'll be that big of a factor. I just feel like this Baltimore team is just way too talented, and they're young. They're they're ready. They're refreshed. Like when when you're young and you have a bye week, it's not the same as when you're like a vet player and you have a bye week. Usually, when you're a vet player and you get that bye week, you you come back a little bit slower. You got to get back in the groove a little bit slower than other players. But when you're young, like Lamar and Hollywood Brown and and the rest of this Ravens offense and defense, I feel like they'll click a lot better, and it'll it'll be quick to see how good they still are, even when they get a chance to rest, unlike the rest of the teams in the league. But that could be also something that can go against them as well, because we obviously know they went to the playoffs last year, but they didn't have a bye week. So the older players, uh, whoever they are, like Earl Thomas, who have that playoff experience and know what a bye week in the playoffs feels like and knows how to manage, you know what I'm saying, how much he should practice or whatever. Uh, somebody like a Lamar who is not used to that, probably wouldn't manage or, you know what I'm saying, won't manage himself the right way leading up to this game. So I feel like it could. And we also seen Lamar last year struggle in the playoff. Do you feel anything from that? Do you think all those troubles are gone? I feel like those troubles are gone just because that was, first off, that was his first season. So the fact that he even had as good of a season as he did last year, to see what he's doing now, now with all the records he's broken, all the accomplishments he's made, he's grown so much. And throughout this season, he's grown more and more each game. And I feel like right now he's just on a roll that you can't stop, even with the bye week, even with the, a time off to rest, so so to say, and just have home field advantage. You know, because It's going to be at Baltimore. It's going to be in the cold. They're used to it. They're ready. They've had a lot of time to prepare. And yeah. look at Tennessee team. And I'm sure, like we were talking about with Derrick Henry, I'm sure they realize that and they know how to try and um, neutralize him at this point. So I feel like the Ravens are ready. I feel like San Francisco is ready with the bye week they've had. And I, I feel like all these other first week bye teams are just going to be prepared with the youth and, and the amount of readiness that they have. Green Bay, Green Bay will probably be the only first week bye team that. I, I would kind of say needs to worry about having that bye week. Mm. And and Baltimore doesn't didn't have a regular bye week because they sat a lot of their best players that last week of the season. So it's like they're really coming off of two bye weeks at the same time. So that I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I feel like Russ could be a factor for Baltimore. Nah, I, that's just me though. I, I feel like Green Bay and maybe Kansas City would be the two teams that I would worry about when it comes to. When it comes to trying to shake the rust off of a bye week, Green Bay especially. Hey, Tennessee, listen. I hope ten. I wish Tennessee was listening to me for real. But Tennessee, man, if you want to beat Baltimore, you gotta hit them right in the face. You can't play around with them boys, or they gonna slap you in the face first. You gotta hit them first. You gotta get up to a 10-0 lead or something like that. You gotta come out strong. You can't play with them boys, or you are gonna end up down forty to zero. You gotta hit them straight in the face. Because in all of their losses this season, they have been hit in the face, and Lamar Jackson has to throw outside of the numbers, which he hasn't shown that he can do at a, a great level yet. 
So if you hit them right in the face and you make them have to throw the ball, that's your opportunity to win. Will it happen? I don't know. But if that that is your way of winning, hit them in the mouth immediately. Derrick Henry, you know, every play if you have to, every play if it's getting you five yards of carry, running every play. Hit them boys in the mouth. And that's all I got, man. Hit the boys in the mouth and make this, uh, make Lamar throw outside of the numbers, man. He loves throwing inside of the numbers to his tight ends. He loves Mark Andrews. He loves Nick Boyle. He loves Hayden Hurst. Make him throw that thing to, uh, what's old boy name? Hollywood Brown and Willie Sneed. Make him throw outside of the numbers. You have solid cornerbacks, Tennessee. You have solid cornerbacks. Make him throw it outside of the numbers, not to his tight ends. That's where he wants to throw it to. And that's, that, and that's just my take. And I think they're going to do that as well. That's why my prediction feels good. Um, Let's get into uh, the Sunday games. So Seattle and Green Bay. So obviously we just giving you our take on Seattle and their last game. Green Bay is coming off a of bye week. And this game is expected to have 16 inches of snow. So it's going to be snowing all over the place, man. But Edgar, who will be the X factor of this game? The X factor to me for on for any Seattle, side for Seattle for Seattle, I feel the X factor is going to be on DK Metcalf, and I feel like for Green Bay, I I want to say Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is going to be the X factor because I feel like he needs to be that bad man that we know he is, especially on a game like this when it's snowing when. You're basically you and you and your own you and the other Aaron, the running back. You two are the main source of source of power for that offense. You know, I feel like Aaron Rodgers needs to do like you say and play hero ball to really get Green Bay a win on um at home. Even though they're at home, this is going to be a tough game for them. I feel like he needs to play hero ball to really get this team a win. Yeah. But Seattle, I actually agree with you with the DK Metcalf one, man. If DK Metcalf has a big game, I think this could. Go. This game is really the toss up of this, of or at least of this playoff round. I think this is the biggest toss up to me. But um, if DK Metcalf gets off, that's a good sign for the uh, Seattle Seahawks. But for Green Bay, I'm gonna say Devontae Adams, man. Devontae has to have a big game. Seattle's secondary is not crazy, and like I just said, it's going to be 16 inches of snow. Aaron is used to the snow. They said he's been throwing in th under 32-degree weather, you know what I'm saying, like 20 games or something like that. So he's used to the snow and, so, and snow. So they should be able to throw the ball. I don't know if Seattle was ready for that, but I know Green Bay is. So Devontae has to abuse that secondary. He has to have a big game. So that's my biggest X factor. But sticking with the Aarons of Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers, which one will be more relied on for Green Bay to win? Uh, you said which one to rely on? Which one will be more relied on? Yes. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know. I, uh, that's a hard question. Because like I said, bro, it's going to be the snow. So in a lot of snow games, people depending on that running game. So exactly. it's like, mm hmm but I, like I, I said, Aaron Rodgers used to it. I just tried to make my point on how Aaron Rodgers needs to say today, but I see what you're saying with how they need to utilize that run game, especially how with how deep the snow is going to be. Mm -hmm. so, ooh, that's hard. Uh, I say 
I say it depends on Aaron Jones more, even though I feel like Aaron Rodgers needs to save the day. So that that's that's my feeling on that. I think it's Aaron Jones, man. When Aaron Jones gets the ball, good things happen. And that's all I have to say. Because I feel like sometimes, or we've seen in the past couple of years with uh, McCarthy, they didn't understand that concept of just giving uh, Aaron Jones the ball. But now this coaching staff actually gets it. So I feel like he would get the ball tomorrow and good things will happen. You shouldn't be scared of Seattle's front seven. I know they have Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright, but their front seven isn't nothing to be scared about. The secondary isn't crazy, so you should be able to do what you want against them. Uh, Philadelphia with Luke McCown or Josh McCown as their quarterback was getting up and down the field on them. So I feel like Green Bay can have their way even in the snow. I think Green Bay can still have their way against the Seattle defense, man. So I'm going to ride out with Aaron Jones, though. I'm going to ride out with Aaron Jones just because I think that because the running game will be so prevalent in this game. I know, like I said before, Aaron Jones or Aaron Rodgers is used to this weather, 20 or more games in 32-degree weather, but I, I think that running game will be true. It will rain true, man. So I'm riding with Aaron Jones. Uh, other game, Kansas City versus Houston. So obviously these, these teams played earlier in the season. We don't know – uh, who is playing on both sides? I don't know if Will Fuller is playing, which is a huge factor for Houston if they want if they want to win. That's a huge factor. And also in that first matchup, uh, Kansas City didn't have their de- defensive tackle Chris Jones. They did. They were without their cornerback Thornhill, and Thornhill is actually going to miss this game as well. So the pieces weren't the same as they're going to be tomorrow. So, obviously, I feel like a lot of people are swaying in Kansas City's favor. So, what can Deshaun do? Or can Deshaun put on his cape again for the Texans to win this game? I feel like he can. You know, Kansas City's defense has always been their weakest point. They they can win if it, if the game is a shootout. You know, if it's a touchdown for a touchdown type game, then that's when you have to worry about Kansas City. But when, when you have Deshaun Watson – who just tries to make the smartest play and just doesn't try to gun for touchdowns on every single um, drive during the game, so to say. Mm-hmm. I feel like he'll have a better chance to beat Kansas City. And I feel like they understand that. Uh, I feel like Fuller, like you said, is going to be a big factor in whether um, Houston has that much success or not. But I feel like Deshaun can definitely get this team to a win just off of game managing and just trying to – Get touchdowns when needed, but trying to run the clock as well and not try to give Kansas City that many possessions because defensively, they're not that strong, and you can get touchdowns against them if you have enough weapons. And I think Houston, even without Fuller, I think they have a decent amount of weapons still to get points on the board. I don't agree. Their weapons are trash. Other than Hopkins and Duke, I don't know where you're going, bro. (laughs) That's what I'm saying, bro. Will Fuller is needed. If they want to win this game tomorrow, bro, Will Fuller is needed. If he doesn't play, Kansas City wins. Straight up. I, but I feel like Kenny Stills and Darren Fells, I feel That's like not they're, enough. They're, they're solid enough. They're solid enough. Because against we, the Chiefs defense, against the Chiefs defense, they're solid enough. But that's the thing, bro. A lot of people say the Chiefs defense, bro, but they don't even know the Chiefs are top 10 in every top defensive category this year. They're top 10. So their defense isn't like last year where they're giving up points willy-nilly. They're top 10 in rush defense, pass defense, scoring defense. They're top 10. 
So this isn't the same defense that they played earlier in the season where they were getting gashed by, uh, like I said, Deshaun and Will Fuller them. And Will Fuller had a huge game against Kansas City. So now we at this point with Kenny Stills. I agree, Kenny Stills is solid. It's solid. But I don't think it's enough. And we seen it last week. Where was Kenny Stills? Kenny Stills did nothing last week because I feel like he does a disappearing act. Uh, I think Fells had a, a solid game. Hopkins started to get off in the second half. But other than Hopkins, and like I said, with Duke, Duke Johnson, where else are you going? Like in the passing game, at least, where else are you going? I don't know. Because I feel like uh, Kenny Stills is going to be guarded by a, a, a Matthew. A Duke Johnson could get loose tomorrow. I feel like he is the X factor for a Texas, a, the Texas team. But other than that, in the passing game, it's like, man, y'all need Will Fuller. And this team looks completely different with Will Fuller playing, bro. They look way more dynamic. And they look so vulnerable on offense without him. Without Deshaun or with Deshaun putting the cape on last week, I think we forgot all about Will Fuller. But that would have been my excuse for if he would have lost last week. That would have been my excuse. That along with coaching would have been my excuse for that loss. Because they needed his speed. They have nobody with his speed on that team, bro. Stills is getting in his later years and he ain't as fast as he once was. So if you get Fuller back, man, this team is completely different. Completely different, bro. But let's stick on the coaching, though. Do you think that would be the mm, – what's the word I should say? Do you think that would determine the, the winner of this game, the coaching? I, I feel like it'll be more so dependent on the players. Don't get me wrong. I, I love Andy Reid. I respect Andy Reid. He's one of the, the, the best coaches of this generation. But I feel like it's going to come down to the players, and I feel like it's going to come down to who can be clutch in the necessary moments. And we know Mahomes and Watson can both do that, but who's going to be able to do it more? So mm -hmm. I, I, I like the play calling that the Kansas City offense has. And it, it's more impressive than Houston's offensive play calling. But with Deshaun, he can make any offensive play look decent. So that that's why I feel like it's going to come down to the quarterback play and who could mess up the least. And Carlos Hyde, man. Carlos Hyde is another big factor. The last time they played, that man had 100, 120 yards on the ground. So, like I said, they've been improving through this whole season. But if you really want to gash the, the Kansas City team, you got to run the ball. So, we need Hyde, Duke Johnson. You know what I'm saying? They got to they gotta show up tomorrow, too. They got to show up in a big way. And Deshaun got to make his plays as well. That whole offense got to come together. Because, look, this Houston defense sucks. They do. So, it's going to be a shootout regardless. It's going to be a shootout. Because Houston's defense isn't going to stop anybody. Josh Allen, if Josh Allen wasn't didn't throw that game away last week, they wouldn't even be in this position. But Mahomes is obviously a totally different animal. And he has weapons like a Kelsey and a Hill. And uh, who else they got? I'm trying to think. Watkins and, you know what I'm saying, everybody else, Robinson. So this is a totally different team they're playing this week. Totally different team. So they're going to have to step up. We need a big game out of J.J. Watt. Because we need some type of pressure on that man. Oh, oh you, you know you're getting that. You, you know we need some type of pressure. I know he ain't his last years, but we need J.J. Watt to come to play. We need my man to come to play. But like That's I said. I'm worried about. What you said? That's one of the last people I'm worried about, J.J. Watt. 
I'm just worried about that defense, period, because I know Kansas City is going to get loose anytime they're on offense. Because, like, we seen it last week. Houston defense is not good at all. But the thing that, that happened in the first matchup, the same thing I said uh, that Baltimore or that Tennessee needs to do to beat Baltimore, they kept the ball out of Mahomes' hands. And that's why I say that running game will be so prevalent tomorrow or on Sunday. It will be so prevalent because if you want to beat Kansas City, period, you got to keep the ball out of that man's hands. The offense is just too dynamic, man. It's too dynamic. He's too dynamic. So it's just you got to keep the ball out of his hands. Hyde, Duke, whoever, man, y'all just got to keep that clock running, get your first downs, milk that clock, and just keep your defense off the field if you're Houston. Keep your defense off the field for as long as you can. Because they not stopping Mahomes, man. Even with rust, I think they still going to be on the money tomorrow, even with the rust. Um, Any last words on that matchup? No, nah, not on that one. All right, man. So let's dive straight into the coaching hires of this past week. So the Carolina Panthers, my Carolina – let me not say my Carolina Panthers because I'm still on the edge. But Carolina Panthers got <laughs> – I'm for real, bro. I'm on the edge of being a fan. But uh, the Panthers got Coach Matt Rule, who is the former Baylor head coach. They got the New York Giants hired Joe Judge, which was a surprising, and I mean surprising, hire. He was the old special team coach for the Patriots, and the Cowboys ended up hiring Mike McCarthy, who was the former coach of the Green Bay Packers. So, Edgar, how do you feel about these hires? Do you think they were good fits? How do you feel like they're going to uh, turn out? Uh, I believe, didn't you say you wanted Matt Rule? I think on the last episode, I, I said McDaniels, but I was like, Matt Rule, McDaniels, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's whatever. Yeah, I, I feel like Matt Rule wasn't a bad hire, you know, seeing what yeah. he's done at Baylor and Temple throughout his college years. You know, I, I feel like he's done enough to where he's proven himself to be a, a reasonable coach in the NFL. This is going to be an interesting first season to see him in. You know, the NFC South. Even when all the teams are not really doing that well, it's still a very competitive division. Oh, definitely. So, uh, because you got you got Tampa Bay, who even though we we have our moments most of the time where we're just obviously out of it, but we we give a good fight. Same yeah. thing with Atlanta and New Orleans. You know, for so sure. that's a tough division. So it'll it'll be that'll be a good first year for him in that division to and, see. What and let me get this stat off real quick, bro, because this transition to college to the program is not easy. Yeah. And I want to say, man, what was the stat I heard earlier this week? It was a stat, man. Like the last six or seven head coaches that have come from college to the NFL, man, they don't do good at all. Like throughout their whole tenure with the team, they don't do good, no improvement. So we have to see if Rule is the exception to that because we've seen top coaches in the college game like Nick Saban, Pete Carroll, or Pete Carroll the first time he was in the NFL not produce wins when they got to the league. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to be uh, a transition. So it's going to be something to look for. Is Matt Rule the exception, or is he going to be a part of that statistic of failing coaches that come from the college game? So that's gonna I, be I, have, I have hope that he'll be an exception. Yeah, because let me say this too, because in most of the places he, is, he has gone, he has rebuilt uh, programs. He went to Temple. Who was a a three a three and ten program when he got there? He made them a bold team. They ended up winning ten games before he left. He ended up going to Baylor, 
they won. They were like one in eleven when he got there, or in his first season they were one in eleven. And then when he ended up leaving, they almost made the college football playoff this year. You feel what I'm saying? So he rebuilds program. And I don't think the Panthers need that much rebuilding, in my honest opinion. I really don't because I feel like they have pieces everywhere you look. They have solid pieces to build off of. So he he it's something I just don't know yet. But I did like the hire, just straight up hearing rule to the Panthers. I did like the hire. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I because it was between McDaniels and Rule. I know I didn't want McCarthy, and obviously I didn't even know about a Joe Judge. I, I was looking at a B enemy too from Kansas City as well, but Rule and McDaniels were really my two options for the Panthers. But how did you feel about the Joe Judge, which caused, which caused a lot of conversation in the sports world? How did you feel about Joe Judge to the Giants? Joe Judge, that hire was – I mean, you're the Giants right now. You can't do anything worse than what you've been doing recently. So anything is an improvement so to say, but I feel like Joe Judge isn't a bad hire, um, especially since he's been, granted he's a special teams coach, I didn't think a special teams coach in this situation would get a head coaching job, mm-hmm. but working under Bill Belichick for the amount of years that he has, I, I feel like he, he has some type of knowledge that can get him into possibly a, a five to six win season with the Giants compared to what they've done recently. But but the thing about the special teams coach, and I think that's what draw the Giants is, is that he wasn't from either side of the ball because you know that most people are either offensive coordinator or whatever. You know, defensive coordinator usually comes in and becomes a head coach. The thing about the special team coach is like you talk to everybody on uh, on the football team because you have people from offense and you have people from defense all playing special teams. So you have to engage with everybody. And I think that's what they liked about a Joe Judge. And I think that's what was attractive to go along with being from Alabama because he was from Alabama from like 2011 to 2013. He was like a little football analyst. So he's been under Nick Saban and also being under the tree of Belichick. So to go along with engaging with all the players, also having the experience with the coaches, I think that was really appealing to a Giants team that is really looking for that. They didn't want another OC because those have really failed in the, the past two years. Because they had Pat Shermer in that field. And then they had, uh, damn, who was the coach before that? Can't remember his name. They, but they had another coach before that who was a, another offensive coordinator. And that failed. So they didn't want to go to the coordinator route. So they went to the special team route. And we got to see how this goes. Uh, Bill Belichick was a special teams coach once before. So maybe we could be looking at something. I don't know. I don't know. But Joe Judge... Obviously, I didn't, I didn't know about him at all until he got hired. But that's the one I just have to wait and see on. I didn't really yeah, have. I, no, I feel like that's really what it is. Yeah, he, he's gonna be the wait and see coach. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't have any feelings when I seen it. Obviously, I was. I, I did. I did have feelings. I was surprised when I seen it. But I was. I didn't really have an opinion if it was a bad or if it was a good look because obviously I didn't know him. Special teams coach. You really don't know too much about them. So, you know, it was nothing to go off of. So I gotta wait and see with him. But. The biggest hire, because obviously the Cowboys are going to be on every news cycle, is McCarthy to the Cowboys. How did you feel about that one? I feel like I I might be one of the few people that feel this way. I feel like it's in a good direction, although we haven't really we haven't really seen much of Mike McCarthy with without an Aaron Rodgers type quarterback to fall back on, like as far as like how much you produce, but. 
making the playoffs nine out of 13 seasons and having the winning percentage that he has over his head coaching career, I feel like he can he can provide a, a level of positivity with this Dallas team. And I feel like he can work with a quarterback that is willing to fit his system without any any confrontation because the mat, the last few things that we've heard over the last two seasons or so in Green Bay is he and Aaron Rodgers butted heads a lot. Yeah. Based based off of the, the play calling or the play style that they had and whatnot. And I feel like if he gets a quarterback, which he has now with Dak, who is really conservative and doesn't speak out much, so to say, I feel like he can have more success. And I feel like he he's a winner regardless of whether you want to give more credit to A-Rod or not. He's a winner at the end of the day. Awesome. And I feel like that's what Dallas needed. And I feel like it'll be a good move. I don't feel like it's going to happen fast. It may take a season or two. It better not be it slow. Might, it better be not, fast. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not going to be slow, but I don't feel like it's going to be next season. They're just Oh, it need to be next season. Oh, he, gonna, he might be out of the I don't feel like anybody's expecting them to make the Super Bowl still. Yes, bro. Their talent is still the same. <laughs> I don't feel like they're going to be expecting to make the Super Bowl. I really don't. Bro, they still have studs on both sides of the ball. I totally understand that. <laughs> bro, nah, they're still going to be Super Bowl or bust, man. Bro, with that talent, with them linebackers, with that D-line, with that secondary, you got to – and also, I think this I think this was, uh, this was hiring of Mike McCarthy was a good, a good sign for Dak Prescott to get his contract this year. So, shout out to Dak. I think he's going to end up getting a long-term contract with uh, Mike McCarthy being signed. I don't know if it's going to be five years, but I could see like a three-year deal being signed. But I think this was a good hiring for that. I don't think uh, McCarthy is going to kick Dak out of the way and bring somebody new in. So I think, you know what I'm saying, this is good for that. No franchise tag if, uh, is what I got from it Well, with this hiring. But, nah, man, I, I still think it's Super Bowl or bust with the Cowboys, man. They got too much talent. But – my feelings on it when I heard the hire, I was like, okay. Um, I didn't really feel like it was a bad hire or a good hire. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't nothing great, nothing spectacular. I felt, because on the last podcast, I felt like they should have got a Lincoln Riley. Because he is somebody that I think coming from college would have flourished into the NFL immediately. Because I feel like the game is going so much toward college play calling on that side of the ball. And I feel like that's what they need to work on the offense. I feel like the defense can be short up, but it's the offense that was always so inconsistent, even though they were first in a lot of stats, which is still so weird to me. But I feel like that was the part of the ball, just molding Dak into the quarterback that he needs to be. I feel like Lincoln Riley would have done that. But a McCarthy is just like, yeah, I feel like it's a step up from Jason Garrett, obviously, but it wasn't nothing splashy, nothing crazy. But that's probably what they need. You feel what I'm saying? So, ah. But it's still Super Bowl expectations, though. But I have I have, I felt no ways. Felt no ways. But also, like I said before, it was a lot of conversation coming from the Joe Judge hire, and a lot of conversation that Stephen A. started, and then I started seeing uh, a lot of other talk shows talk about was did the Rooney Rule need to be modified? And if you don't know what the Rooney Rule is, it is the rule that minorities can at least get the opportunity to interview for what head coaching jobs, offensive coordinator jobs, whatever. Because obviously before white coaches are being, you know what I'm saying, picked over minorities. So at least let them in the door. And that's what the Rooney rule was supposed to, or was made to do to get minorities, whether it's Hispanics, 
or whether it was blacks, get them in the door. And the hiring of Joe Judge started to spark a lot of feelings because it's like Joe Judge, who was not known, who didn't really pay his dues in some people's respects, got picked over people like Jim Caldwell or over Eric Bieniemy, who are black coaches who have paid their dues and are ready to be put in a head coaching position. So how did you feel about the Rooney rule and how do you think that it should go from here? I feel like it was definitely overlooked in this situation. And a lot of people might try to say, well, the Rooney rule is kind of similar to affirmative action with just trying to fill the quota of making sure you have a certain number of, of minority coaches to not be frowned upon. I don't feel like that's what the Rooney rule is. The Rooney rule is just to give at least an opportunity. An opportunity, yeah. You don't yeah. even have to hire them. Just give them an the opportunity. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's completely different than affirmative action. Affirmative action is just when they just hire a specific amount yeah. just to fill their quota. But yeah. the Rooney Rule is specifically for at least granting the opportunity to these minority coaches. Exactly. Who, like Quincy, Quincy said, has paid their dues, have been in high coaching positions for at least a, at least an average veteran amount of years, you know. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like it was overlooked, and I feel like that definitely needs to also, be fixed on how they overlook that in certain situations like this. Yes, and this came up with the Cowboys as well because – oh, no, they, they it wasn't the Cowboys. It was the Giants, my fault. But they uh, they, they only interviewed – they interviewed uh, Joe Judge. They wanted to interview Matt Rule, and it was a, a couple other white candidates that – they were looking into. So no black people even got the opportunity to interview. So it was just like, damn, we don't get the opportunity. Then you come out the blue with the surprising hire of a Joe Judge. And it's like, damn, we can't even get the chance to get in the doors. It's like, it was crazy. So that's what sparked a lot of conversation. And my feelings on it is, obviously, it's only three coaches, three black coaches in the NFL. You got one Hispanic and Ron Rivera, so four minorities in total. So 65% of the NFL is black. And obviously, what is that? 80% of coaches are white. So that's actually telling us, if you're a player or if you're anybody who watched the NFL, is that black men can't lead black men. And that's really what it's telling you. Because you, let, you, you have all these black players, but you always got to hire a white head coach. Why is that? When a black when a black I, man could lead a black team better in some respects, I feel the same as you. And yeah, like looking at the gold standard of Mike Tomlin, like exactly possible when given the opportunity with the with the correct candidate. Like we we don't just we're not trying to say just hire any black exactly. No, nah, I'm not saying that at all. Yeah, yeah. Like if if you hire the right coach, or it could be Hispanic, the right minority coach with the right accolades and the right mindset. If you hire the right one, they will give you what you're looking for out of these other non-minority coaches. Yeah. You know? So I feel like we just need the opportunity to be able to show people that, look, we can we can not only play on the field, but we can operate on the sidelines and generate wins still. Yeah. So. And all black coaches are, are – most black coaches are good. You know what I'm saying? We have our, our fosters here and there with the Hughes and, the you know what I'm saying, the Marvin Lewis's who became stagnant. But still, we have our bright spots in the Mike Tomlins, the Anthony Lins, and it's, a, it's, a, it's another black coach I'm forgetting about right now. But still, it's a, we got the few bright spots. 
that at least give us the opportunity to show that we can lead these or the predominantly black team who we can relate to, who we, you know what I'm saying, that we can just push to be a great, you know what I'm saying? So uh, the Rooney Rule needs to be changed, man, immediately. Because we at least need to get in the door, at least interview us, at least give us the chance to show you that we can do this position and do it well. Um, but you have any last words on that? No, that that's my piece on it. All right. And the Browns are the only team left without a head coach. Who do you see going there? Really, the only option I can see is Josh McDaniels, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody. I mean, obviously, even though we just literally just talked about the, the Rooney Rose situation, I mean, you still got Eric Bien-Aimé. Bien-Aimé, that would I mean, I wouldn't want to see him with a terrible team, but it's a head coaching job nonetheless. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. But Josh McDaniels or Eric Bieniemy, those would be my two options. Man, the Browns not even terrible. I wouldn't even mind if Bieniemy went there. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like they have the talent, but somebody just have the has the mold that uh, Baker Mayfield. Man, somebody has to mold them. So maybe that is a Josh McDaniels that needs to mold them. But they just need to find the the the, the head coach that can relate to him and get on his level to mold him into the quarterback that he can be. So whether that's Bienemy McDaniels, I know they hired or they were interviewing Jim Swartz, who is the D.C. over in Philadelphia. Whoever can mold him to become a great leader in the locker room for the Browns needs to be hired. So, yeah. And also, I've, I've seen Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens are getting interviewed to be uh, offensive coordinators for the Giants. Do you like that in any way? Uh, you said Jason Garrett and who was the other one? Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens are being interviewed to be OCs for the Giants. I feel like I feel like Jason Garrett would fit there, honestly. Because mm-hmm. J- Jason Garrett is not a terrible coach. I just feel like his time has been up in Dallas for such a long time that we just feel like he's just a terrible coach. But yeah. Jason Garrett is not a terrible coach. I feel like he definitely can thrive in a coordinating or assistant coach position. Yeah, I totally so I agree. Feel, I feel like that would be a good pickup by the um, Giants. And who who better to help you in that division against the Cowboys than somebody who's been there for this many years, you know? So. Mm-hmm. And something, I, and a theory or a, a possibility that I was hearing for the Browns was McDaniels goes to the Browns and Brady follow him. Do you like that? No, I, don't, I can't see Brady in a Cleveland jersey at all whatsoever. I don't care who he knows that goes to Cleveland. I doubt <laughs> Tom Brady is going to say, yeah, I'll play in Cleveland from the end of my career. Nah, he'd rather retire, I'm pretty sure. Mm, I don't know, bro. McDaniels might be, hey, man, let me, let, me, let me talk to you for a minute. Baker Mayfield can sit under him. He can get mentored by the GOAT. I don't know that. Obviously, obviously I don't think Tom Brady's leaving um, the Patriots, in my full honest opinion, I don't think he's leaving the Patriots. But if he did, you sit, uh, sit Baker Mayfield down. You got weapons. You got Nick Chubb. You got Odell. You got Jarvis Landry. The defense got pieces all over the place. That could be something immediately. I don't know. I know we've been saying the Chargers as our number one destination spot for him, but Cleveland could be one too, even though I don't think they would. But Cleveland could be something, man. Uh, but let's do our picks of the week. So the first game is Baltimore and Tennessee. Who you got? 
I got Baltimore. I'm riding with Tennessee, man. I don't, I don't care. I'm riding with Tennessee because I think what I said earlier is going to come true. I think Tennessee is going to smack them in the mouth. And they're going to get up by 10-0, 13-0, something like that. And then they just got to play keep away from Lamar. I think that's going to happen, man. Tennessee showed me something last week. They showed me something with that running game, man. And I think they can do the same thing. Tanny, Tanny just can't turn that thing over. Tanny can't turn it over. But if they just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball like they're supposed to, I got Tennessee. Minnesota versus San Fran. San Fran. Yeah, San Fran. Seattle, Green Bay. Ooh, that's a hard one. I'm going with A-Rod. I'm going with that bad man. I feel like he still got something to prove to everybody that he could still be that guy. Yeah, I got Green Bay. Like I said last week, Seattle did not impress me at all. And Kansas City versus Houston. I like Houston to get the road win. I like Houston as well. Y'all already know how I feel about my man Deshaun, man. You know what I'm saying? He the Michael Jordan of this game, the next Superman. So I'm riding with Superman Deshaun. So let's do a couple of college football topics before we get out of here. So obviously we know Tua declared, which we pretty much expected. It was a, it was a no-brainer. So do you feel like he's a still a top 10 pick? Top 10, yes. I, I still feel like he's a top 10 pick. Top four or top three or four pick, no, but definitely still a top 10 pick. Yeah, because I've been seeing a lot of Miami, a lot of Miami, and I think Miami is like number five. So I've seen Miami. So that could be a destination for Tua. And also Jake Fromm declared. And Jake Fromm is somebody that I believe in deeply and that he should be in that. He shouldn't be in the Burrow and Tua uh, category. But he's, he's in that tier under, though. He's in that tier under with the Herberts. It's, it's, and I think Fromm is better than Herbert. So right after uh, Burrow and Tua, it should be Fromm, in my opinion. That's just how I feel because I just believe in Fromm so much. But a lot I, of I like Herbert a lot. I like yeah. Fromm, but I like Herbert just a little bit more. Yeah. So you can pick anyone after that one. It's a, it's a pick them after the first two with Tua and Jake Fromm. But he well, also congr- declared. Congratulations to both of them, though, for yeah. declaring. About to get that bag soon. About to get that bag. And also, let's talk about the championship expectations. The championship is on the 13th, which is Monday. <sighs> it's finally here, man. It's been a minute. I feel like it usually didn't take that long to get to a championship game, but it was. It, it didn't. I don't know why they took so long to bring it this time. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it was the next week after the playoff was the championship game, but this week they put two weeks in between. I don't know why they did it. It, it just felt so much longer than it needed to be. But uh, what do you, what is your expectations for this game? Do you feel like it's a high-scoring shootout or is it going to be a slugfest? I feel like it's going to be a high-scoring game. I got LSU winning, but I feel like their defense is top-notch. It's going to be top-notch against this Cleveland – not Cleveland, this Clemson team. And I feel like this battle between Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence is going to really highlight both of their skills. But I feel like Joe Burrow is just going to be so much better – than Trevor Lawrence in this game because his defense, I feel, is better than Clemson's defense. Man, this is definitely going to be a shootout, man. And picking this game uh, about a month ago because I knew this was going to be this was going to happen with the LSU and Clemson. I picked LSU, and I'm still around with LSU. Let me keep that clear. I'm still around with LSU, but Clemson impressed me in that Ohio State game, man. Trevor Lawrence looked like he back on that track. That man running the ball looking like Trevor Vick. I don't know how to feel right now, man. 
it's gonna be it's gonna be definitely a slugfest. Whoever, not a slugfest, but a shootout. But whoever has the ball last is gonna win. And I think that is gonna be LSU, man. It is. Because I don't think either of these defenses are gonna stop one another. Both have dynamic weapons on the offensive end, whether it's T. Higgins or Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase or whoever, Justin Ross. They got dynamic weapons everywhere. I think it's going to be an offensive shootout. I'm excited for this game, man. Give us a, give us a score real quick. I'll say 35-31. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's actually going to be in the 40s. I'm going to go 42, 42-38. 42-38. Ugh, this game is going to be so good, bro. This game is going to be so good. I don't know why they made us wait this long, but it was going to be, it's going to be well worth the wait. Um, Joe Burrow for the win. But that is the end of our podcast. Oh, no. I had a question. I had a question. I had a question. Oh, because obviously, obviously after Tua declaring, it was a lot of questions about Tua in the past. So do you think Joe Burrow is still the solidified number one pick in the NFL draft? Yes, definitely. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I don't mm. I think he is just off what he did this year, man. But talent wise, who I think is gonna do better in the NFL, I think it's Tua, man. I I truly think it's Tua. I know with, with and now I'm saying that with all the injuries, I still think Tua is gonna be the one to have a, a better six or a, a more successful career in the NFL. Or over a borough. And I know both of them are going to go to trash teams, but just I just think Tua just has that X factor. Which one would you go with for the better career? Uh, I still say Joe Burrow. You still around with Burrow? I, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about any type of injuries or injury proneness with Burrow right now. And yeah. that just makes my choice so much more confident. Mm, okay, okay. So I, I, can, I, can, I can live with that. But, all right, Eggert, man, hit these man, hit these people with the social media. You can follow us on Twitter at QE Podcast One. You can follow us on Instagram at Q underscore and underscore E underscore podcast. And you can follow our Facebook page at Q and sign E Podcast. Yes, and you can follow me on Twitter at Q underscore Hicks3. Follow Edgar at Edgar Martin97. Follow his IG at Edgar Martin Official. Like I said, we got a YouTube, so follow us on YouTube. Subscribe, uh, Q. The and signed e podcast, and also subscribe to all the platform podcast players. So we are on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're everywhere, man. So just look for us anywhere. Just subscribe so you can just get updated with any of the new episodes that are coming out, man. And also hit up our email if you have any questions or anything you want to tell us, and that is q a n d e podcast at gmail.com. But that is it for this podcast. Thank you for listening, and we're out. Peace.